You're not alone. Hello there, and welcome to another episode of the Salt Mines X-Wing podcast, a podcast dedicated to the backbone of the X-Wing community. That's right, people like you doing what they can to be better at the game. I'm your host, Sailor Joe, and we've got a lot to talk about this episode. So without further ado, let's get into our first segment. AMG Rules Forum. All right, for our first question, we've got Reinforced Dead to Right slash Midnight. OP, does the Reinforce effect adding an evade result, result during the neutralized result step count as defense dice being modified for the purposes of Dead to Right, Midnight, or any other effect that prevent dice, defense dice being modified? Answer, the die result added as a result of the Reinforced token is a form of dice modification. With, the, with regards to the specific exam, examples, neither dead to rights nor a ship locked by midnight in the TIE FO would a, allow a ship to use reinforce to add an evade result while defending. Good to know. Next question, dead to rights versus reinforce. Is is a reinforced defender that is in the bullseye arc of an attacking ship with dead to rights able to add an invade result when the attacker is in the full arc indicated by the re, uh, reinforced token? Rephrased, does adding the re evade result count as using the reinforced token for this effect since that is what dead to rights is specifically or is specifying that it is restricting? Dead to rights reads, while you perform an attack, if the defender is in your bullseye arc, defense dice cannot be modified using green tokens. Answer, no. The die result added as a result of the reinforced token is a form of dice modification which dead to rights would prevent. Good to know. Alright, page 9 and aside damage. OP, do thermal detonators assign damage cards to an effective ship's hull upon detonation? Can you give some examples of damage done directly to the ship's hold, bypassing shields, as described in page 9 of the rules reference? Answer. No. Ships affected by the detonation of thermal de detonators suffer the damage rolled. This does not bypass the shields. When a ship suffers damage, that damage is suffered one at a time. For each damage the ship suffers, it loses an active shield. If it does not have any active shields remaining, it is dealt damage cards instead. Thermal detonators have the following effects. When this device detonates, each ship and remote at range 0 to 1 rolls one attack die. Each ship gains one strain token for each focus result, and each ship and remote suffers one damage slash critical damage for each matching result. Compare this to concussion bombs, which reads, When this device detonates, each ship and remote at range 0 to 1 is dealt one face-down damage card. Then each ship at range 0 to 1 must expose one damage card unless it chooses to gain one strain token. Alright, next one. Which player rolls for mind bombs? OP. Hi guys, thanks for answering my questions. Which player rolls for mines and bombs? The player who placed it or the player who received the damage? Answer. Whenever When a device detonates, the owner of the affected ship rolls the dice to determine the effects of the detonation. Okay, good to know. Adaptive ailerons and obstacles. OP. Hi, 
I was wondering if when you use adaptive ailerons and you overlap an obstacle, do you still take the effects of obstacles? For instance, do you lose your perform action step before you execute your your dial maneuver? Or do you still get your actions since you have not revealed your dial yet? Thank you. Answer. Yes, adaptive ailerons cause you to execute a maneuver and you would suffer the effects of obstacles. Moving through or overlapping an obstacle would cause you to roll for damage. A debris cloud would stress you and cause you to roll for damage. A glass cloud would cause you to roll for strain. That's since changed. So keep in mind as I'm, uh, well, hold on, let me, let me finish reading. However, Question, do TIE Stripers and Reapers take their perform action step if they overlap an asteroid or another ship with their aileron ability maneuver? Answer, no. It is only during the execute maneuver step that the ship skips the perform action step for overlapping a ship or obstacle. So no, you would not skip a perform action step if you move through or overlap an asteroid or a gas cloud with adaptive ailerons. While this FAQ does not specify specifically reference gas clouds, the explanation also covers that interaction as well. Now, one thing that I'll point out as we kind of close out this segment is um, I'm going through the rules forum from back to front, so oldest to newest. So some of the things that I read are going to change due to new rules, like what we just got dropped from AMG. So you have to be aware of that and get into this stuff yourself so you can see what has changed and what hasn't. All right. So with that said, let's go on to our next segment. List building with Joe. In honor of our first list with the new points and new rules, I've decided to go with a, uh, a list that I had before that has since gotten better um, with the new points and rules. Now, I'm sure you've listened to the other podcasts by now and you kind of have a baseline idea. We're going to cover some more of that in a minute. But um, basically, there are now squad points and uh, each ship has loadout points. And um, we'll, go, we'll go into more explanation here in a minute. But the list consists of Kylo Ren in the TIE-V and Silencer, Gideon Hask uh, in the Xi Shuttle, Scorch, Static, and Lieutenant Rebus all in the TIE-FO. Now what you've got here is uh, for loadout points for this particular loadout, on Kylo Ren I put Extreme Maneuvers, Sensor Scramblers, Advanced Proton Torpedoes, and Ion Missiles. Gideon Hask is running Fanatical, Sensor Buoys, Tactical Officer, and Agent Terex. Scorch is running Fanatical. Static is running Proud Tradition, Pattern Analyzer, and Fanatical. And Lieutenant Rivas is not running anything. So that's the list. And essentially what you've got is you've got Kylo Ren in a mini swarm. It kind of works like uh, Kylo Ren and the mini swarm of before, except now your TIE fighters actually do something. And they're not just uh, blankets. So, um, yeah. I This list without Lieutenant Rivas served me well in the recruit championships. Uh, was it last year or the year before? In uh, Gold Squadron's 
event. Um, now this list just got better. So I highly encourage you to try it out. And now let's move into the meat and potatoes of what I wanted to talk about. And I'm doing this a little bit differently than I normally do. Normally I listen to all the other podcasts in their entirety, and I just haven't had time to do that this week. And I've been really excited about list building uh, and talking to my other X-Wing player friends on uh, what their initial interpretation of the rules are, things like that. I printed them out. What I wanted to do on this episode is go through and talk about what updates have actually happened in the rules reference and when that all goes in effect. So it all goes in effect March 1st. And what we'll start with is the first changes that we see is under the attack header, which um, the, the changes then, and you know what, I'll just read them. So the first one is a primary weapon requires the attack range to be 0 to 3. A primary weapon has no cost by default. And then in attack dice, right, we're talking about, this is still under the attack header, um, after the roll attack dice step, while performing a primary attack at range 0, attack dice cannot be added unless stated otherwise. And then you have the modify a dice, attack dice step, and the note under there is, while performing a primary attack at attack range 0, the attacker's dice cannot be modified or can be modified only by spending the force for their default effect. And then we scroll down a little bit more into under 3B, modified defense dice. And we have this line which says, while defending at range 0, enemy ships cannot cancel, modify, or remove dice or results. So that's actually good. So kind of what they were talking about, the attack range 0 is going to be there, but it's going to be kind of your worst option overall. Next, there was an addition of a blaze, which when this object is placed, fit the guides into the tab of the blaze blazer bomb. After this obstacle is placed, place a fuse marker on it. During the in phase, remove each blaze with no fuse marker, then remove one fuse marker from each blaze. While a ship moves, if it moves through or overlaps a blaze obstacle, it suffers the following effects. After the move is resolved, roll one attack die. On a hit or crit result, the ship suffers one damage. Just one hit damage. On a focus result, it gains one stress token. Then the ship skips its perform action step this round. And it's important to note that that then this ship skips its perform action round happens regardless of whether it gets a stress token or not. Then after a remote re relocates, if it relocates so that it is range zero of a blaze obstacle, it suffers one damage. And while a unit defends, if the attack is obstructed by a blaze, it rolls one additional defense dice. So, kind of new things coming in there. Excited to see that. Next, we see deficit. And what deficit is, it reads, if the squad point total of a player's squad is less than the maximum allowed squad value, subtract the total squad point from their squad from the maximum to determine that player's deficit before the game begins. 
At the start of the game, each player earns mission points equal to their opponent's deficit. Next we go into dock and under dock. This is important. After a ship that can dock partially executes a maneuver and overlaps a friendly carrier ship, it may be placed in reserve. If it is, do not resolve the effects of the overlap. That's going to be important here in a minute. All right, game length and tracking rounds. Standard games are played over 12 rounds. Players track completed rounds with charge markers. At the start of the game, place 12 charge markers flipped to their active sides near the play area. At the end of each round, the players flip one charge marker to its inactive side. At the end of the 12th round, the game ends. If all of one player's ships are destroyed, the game ends at the end of the current round. Players who wish to play longer or shorter games may agree with their opponent upon any number of rounds before setup that, and place that number of charge markers for tracking rounds at the start of the game. The game ends at the end of the last round, last agreed upon round. Game mode. Various game modes limits which ship and upgrade cards are available for squad building. Some game modes have a banned list and a restricted list. Two of the most common games are standard and extended. The points document found at the AMG website detail which ships and upgrades are available during squad building in each of these game modes. All right, next we're going to talk about mission points. This was another new addition. Mission points determine who wins the game. At the start of the game, each player earns mission points equal to their opponent's deficit. The first time a ship's health combined total hull and shields, including any modifications to hull and shields from upgrade cards, is reduced to half or below, rounding down, the opposing player immediately earns mission points equal to half the squad point value of the ship rounding up. Now, this is only certain scenarios, so pay attention. When a ship is destroyed or removed from the game, the imposing player immediately earns mission points equal to half the squad point value of the ship rounding down. If a ship that was removed from the game had not been reduced to half its health during the game, the opposing player earns mission points equal to the full squad point value of the ship instead. So basically what this is saying is if you have a odd number ship, so let's say it's a five point ship and it's halved, the opponent gets three points for having it. And then if when they get the additional two points when the ship is destroyed. All right. If a player concedes the game, the player's remaining ships are destroyed and removed from the game before calculating each player's score. During scenario play, the game winner is determined based upon the scenario's specific victory conditions. Players track their mission points with victory counters. All right, obstacles. Here's the new obstacle rules. And a lot of us have already been playing with it, but there's a couple of things to note in here. All right. Obstacles. If a ship moves through or overlaps an obstacle, it suffers an effect based on the type of obstacle after resolving its move. Asteroid. The ship suffers one hit damage. Roll one attack die. On a hit or crit result, the ship suffers an additional hit damage. Blaze. Roll one attack die. On a hit or crit result, the ship suffers one hit damage. On a focus result, it gains a one stress token. Then the ship skips its perform action step this round. Debris cloud. 
The ship is assigned one stress token. Roll one attack die. On a hit result, this ship suffers one hit damage. On a crit result, the ship suffers one crit damage. Electrotraff clouds. The ship breaks all its locks and all locks on it, and then is assigned one jam token. Roll one attack die. On a hit or crit result, the ship is assigned one stress token. Gas cloud. The ship breaks all the locks, all its locks, and all locks on it, then is assigned one strain token. Roll one attack die. On a hit result, the, it is assigned one ion token. On a crit result, the ship is assigned three ion tokens. Loose cargo. The ship is assigned one strain token. Roll one attack die. On a hit or crit result, the ship is assigned one stress token. Spare parts. The ship is assigned one strain token. Roll one attack die. On a hit or crit result, the ship is assigned one stress token. If a ship ends its maneuver overlapping an obstacle, it skips its perform action step. Alright, and then there's a note on while a ship is at range zero of an obstacle, it may suffer different effects. On an asteroid, the ship cannot perform an attack. On debris cloud, the ship cannot perform attacks. Electro chaff cloud, the ship cannot acquire locks and cannot be locked. On a gas cloud, the ship cannot acquire locks and cannot be locked. The ship cannot perform attacks. All right, now we get into the overlap rules that have changed. And here we go. So the initial step one hasn't changed, but they added step two. And here's where it's important. Now step one reads, move the ship backward along the template until it is no longer on top of any other ships. While doing so, adjust the position of the ship so that the hash marks in the middle of both sides of the guides remains centered over the line and down the, down the middle of the template. Number two, once a ship is no longer on top of any other ship, place it so that it is touching the last ship it backed over. This may result in the ship not leaving its initial position. Then, after the check difficulty step, it suffers an effect based on what ship it overlapped that initially forced it to partially execute the maneuver. So, if the overlapped ship was a friendly or allied ship, roll an attack die. On a hit or crit result, the ship suffers one hit damage. Then the ship skips its perform action step. If it if the overlap ship was an enemy ship, if it is not stressed, it may immediately perform a focus or calculate action on its action bar condition or action bar, treating the action as red. Then the ship skips its perform action step. The ship cannot perform any additional actions during its activation. If there was a simultaneous overlap of a friendly or allied and enemy ships, resolve the effect for overlapping a friendly or allied ship. So, and a lot of us have already been playing with this. That shouldn't come as a surprise, but it just spells it all out. All right, so next, during the planning phase, after all ships and dials assigned to them, players roll to determine player orders as follows. One, each player rolls three attack dice. The player with the most crit results is first player B. In the case of a tie, the player with the most focus results. C. 
if there is still a tie, the player with the most hit results. D. If there is still a tie, the players re-roll the dice and follow the above rules until the tie is broken. This rule cannot be modified by game effects. After player order has been determined, play proceeds into the system phase. The phase ends after the player's roll determined player order. Players cannot assign, the, can assign their dials in any order. Players are allowed to change their selections on their dials until the players have rolled to determine player order. So all of that is important. All right, they're also asking, adding player markers to the thing. And these are used to indicate which player controls an objective. Alright, and we already read about determining player order. That's just added in there again. Alright, just a couple more things. So, unit, ships, and remotes are units. Victory counters. Some scenarios have victory counters that are used as markers in the play. And it, it literally says playa. I'm sorry, that threw me for a loop. I think it's supposed to be play area. Used to track prices, progress, or scored for completing goals during play. Winning the game. During the game, each player calculates and tracks their mission points. The player with the most mission points at the end of the game wins. During scenario play, if the game winner, the game winner is determined based on the scenario's specific victory conditions. So, and then it talks about the different type of uh, devices that are out there, bombs and mines. Uh, what they are, those haven't changed. Uh, Obstacles, the only thing that is different in here is cargo drift now appears to be legal um, and it's considered an asteroid. So if you have that, looks like you're able to use it. All right, and then there's a whole bunch of errata. I am not going to get into all of that right now. I highly encourage you to look at it. Um, what I do, and I'm kind of extra special on this, is I print out the errata cards twice, and um, the first one goes into my handy-dandy uh, X-Wing binder that comes with me when I uh, TO events, so that uh, if there's anything that comes up, we can refer to the rules question. And then the other one, I take out and I cut out the little text section, and I just tape it over the card so I don't have to deal with it. And I think that looks better than the whole paper thing. Anyway, that's how I do it. As you know, well, hold on, I'm getting ahead of myself. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. Uh, uh, I am changing some of the Patreon rewards. So, um, if you considered, if you want to consider becoming a patron, um, please go to patreon.com slash saltminesxwing. Uh, this quarter, I will no longer be giving out tokens. Instead, I will be giving out a t-shirt. Um, so my current patrons, I need you to reach out to me and give me your size and whether you prefer white on black or black on white. And I will be getting those out at the end of the quarter. And those are going to be um, the... 
the last big rewards that I do for a while until I can uh, kind of ease out of the financial situation that I'm in right now. Uh, but I do still appreciate your support and uh, my current patrons, if um, not receiving anything gives you cause to leave, I totally understand. Thank you for your support up to this point. And uh, I hope when I get back on my feet a little bit that um, you'll consider becoming a patron again. Also, please consider leaving a review however you consume this podcast. I read each reviews and each one means a lot to me, even the bad ones. And as you know, I like to end every podcast with a question. This week's question is, what are your thoughts on 2.5? Do you love it? Do you hate it? Let me know. This is Sailor Joe, signing off.